Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Today, have a seat, get your Bibles out, and go with me to Acts. In the book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter number 12. And this is the story of us. You know, a lot of times we look at the book of Acts and we say, well, that was the early church. That was them during that time. Definitely there are cultural things and things that happened thousands of years ago that we can understand and we can see that maybe we don't really relate with in, in every term. But really when we take a look at this, a lot of the issues, a lot of the things that we're facing, much of what God wants to do in the church is still relevant and still very uh, pertinent to the life that we live in today. And so this is not just a history lesson. This is the story of us. The specific title of today's message is Fighting the Battle Within. There are many times many things that go on that aren't external, things that you don't even see. Many times there's an internal battle that we fight and that we face, and we need to know how to win those battles within. Acts chapter 12, verse number 20, we're going to read down through verse number 24, and this is continuing the story that started with Peter being brought out of the prison by an angel. King Herod uh, goes and calls for Peter, and they can't find him anywhere, and so he examines the guards, and when, after he examines them and finds out that Peter's gone, and they don't know what happened, he puts them all to death. We pick up the story in Acts chapter 12, verse number 20. We're going to read down through verse number 24. All scriptures today are in the New King James Version. It says, Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus, the king's personal aide, their friend, probably with a, a bribe, you know, a little greasy handshake that had a little cash in it or something like that, it says they asked for peace. Why would they ask for peace? Because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. How many of you know your desires, your belly will motivate you to do certain things? And so even though Herod was a grumpy, uh, mean king, they decided we need his friendship because we need his food, Right? Look at verse number 21. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them. For those of you that don't know what an oration is, that was oral. He was speaking. He was giving a speech to them. Josephus, the historian, points out that Herod on that day had silver robes on, that when the sun hit them, they gleamed and they glowed, and it, it was marvelous looking. And so here he sits in this glowing robe, and he, he's giving an oration to them. He's speaking to them. Look at the people's response, and the people kept shouting, verse 22, the voice of a God and not of a man. They're just going, man, just, whoo, oh, Herod, let me get that for you, right? Come on, bro. You just keep going, keep talking. Oh, this is the voice of a God and not of a man, right? What are they doing? They're buttering this boy up. They're flattering him. They're making sure that they get some of his food by telling him this is the voice of a God and not of a man. Verse number 23, then immediately the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. In other words, he received the glory for himself. He thought in his heart, I am a God. He thought in his very inner being there was a war that was being waged because this man, remember, was uh, part Jew. He was over the Jewish people. He knew their customs. That's why he reached out with a sword to kill James, it was because he knew that it would please the Jewish people. He would have been familiar with their systems of worship, and he would have been familiar with the one true God. And when they started to shout, this is the voice of a God and not a man, he did not give glory to God. He didn't say, hey, whoa, 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 you guys just crossed the line. No, we know who the one true God is. He didn't stop them, but he received their praise and did not give glory to God. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. Look at this, because he did not give glory to God, and he was eaten by worms and died. Now, you might think that's weird. 
worms. You know what I mean? And yet, microscopically inside of all of us, there are little microorganisms, things that are living apart from us, right? Beings that feed off of our bodies, and we also know that maggots and different things like that come after a body decomposes and that sort of a thing. Uh, we understand about tapeworms and different things like that, parasites in the body, little things. And, and even when a body decomposes, there are little things like worms that will eat through the body and cause it to decompose. That's in each and every one of us. Jesus talked about this when he said their worm does not die and their flame does not go out in hell. What's he saying? He's saying that the body will not decompose, that it will be in torment forever and ever. And so here, supernaturally, we see this process sped up. Again, Josephus talks about this, and he says that Herod cried out in pain. In five days, he was dead. He was gone. Probably had something in his bowels that just burst or something that happened, and it caused him to die. He was eaten by worms, and he died. Verse number 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. We can see that while he was persecuting the church, that it continued to grow and multiply. And for all of us, we need to understand this. We need to realize when... Pardon oh. the interruption. We've breaking got breaking news. news with the Caesarea News Team. Here are your co-anchors, Trey Peak and Jessica Jordan. Good evening and welcome to Caesarea Evening News. I'm Jessica Jordan. And I'm Trey Peak. Our top story today, a landmark day in the region of Tyre and Sidon as King Herod has offered a peace treaty to the people. In a speech he gave today, he cited the help of his personal aide and friend of the people, Blastus, who was also instrumental in the brokering of the peace treaty that would not only keep the area's food supply, but also bring people into favor with the king. We will have live coverage of this developing story as the king is still giving his speech. That's right. He has taken many breaks during his speech today because the people will not get through a sentence without stopping him to shout, the voice of a God, and on a man. In other news, the search for a religious leader of the sect of the Jews continues. The man named Simon, goes by the alias Peter, somehow broke out of a maximum security prison for crimes he committed against the country. Many Jewish people who are pleased to see him in jail are now wondering what will come of his escape and will justice be done. In other news, Trey! interrupt. Jeez. This just in. Put your ears in. Put your ears in. Oh my goodness. Oh, I'm so sorry to say, but what? King Herod has just dropped oh, dead. Gosh. He has died suddenly during his speech of unknown health complications. Oh, um, they're saying in his reports, the worms. worms. They're saying he was died. He got killed from worms. Is this even possible? Oh, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what the autopsy report reveals. Yes. Oh my goodness. While we follow this developing story, please stay with us. We are the news station to give you all the full coverage. Uh, yes. Funeral arrangements. That's right. Well, Show. Oh, Who was, was it? Oh my gosh. I've got word from my producers that they have full coverage of this story live right now in San Bernardino, California. That is correct, Trey. I've gosh. got this coverage right here too. The Rock Church and World Outreach Center has insider information. So we're going to take you live right now to Pastor Dan Roth. Pastor Dan. Well, I didn't realize we had live breaking news coverage of all that. I, I would have just skipped the scriptures then. My goodness. But as we can see, there was a war within Herod. There was a war within the people, right? We can see a desire that moved people to do things that they wouldn't normally have done. And there was a desire within this king, Herod, that moved him to do something that he should not have done. 
See, in the scriptures, every story, every illustration, every individual is an example for you and an example for me. Oftentimes, we want to just take a look at Jesus and say, hey, you know, I want to be like Jesus, and so I'm going to study the life of Jesus. We need to do that, right? We need to mimic his life. We need to be imitators of Christ, as dear children, the Bible says. Many times, we want to be like the King David who slays Goliath. But you know, David also gives us negative examples as well. When he committed adultery, when he committed murder, when he numbered the people because of his pride. And we can see that even in Herod and even in the people of Tyre and Sidon, that there is a story that we need to learn from about the battle within because we need to win from within. Today I want to talk to you about winning the battle within. A couple of things that I see in Herod and in the people that if we can get a hold of and we can understand, then we can win the battles that we face each and every day. First thing is this. If we're going to win the battle within, number one, we have to make godly motives. We have to make them. You can't just allow your desires to make your motives. You have to make them yourself because our motives produce our actions. Heard the story of a young boy who was a teenage boy, just got his braces off. He was racing around the house looking everywhere for his retainer. Couldn't find it. He's tearing the house apart, tore his room apart, tore the kitchen apart. He was just going through everything, the living room. He was under every couch cushion. He was behind every book in the, in the bookshelf. And he just finally was so frustrated. He gave up and he sat down and just was in a slump with a great big sigh. Now, his mom, uh, having the bat ears that moms do, was across the house and heard this sigh, and so she came into the room, and she said, Honey, my darling, what's wrong? What's going on? And he said, I'm just so frustrated. I lost my retainer, Mom. I'm so sorry. I can't find it anywhere. She says, Give me a minute. She leaves, and one minute later, to the second, she walks back in with the retainer. The boy is shocked. She says, Mom, I've been tearing the house apart. I've been looking everywhere for that. Why couldn't I find it? She said, Because you were looking for a retainer. I was looking for $150. Come on, you know what I'm talking about, parents. There's a difference when our motives are moving us. Motives produce action in our lives. A a hunger will produce an action of going to the fridge and looking for something. Boredom oftentimes will produce wrong things, right? We'll we'll get idle, we'll look on the internet, we'll, we'll be just looking at videos, we'll waste a whole day. Why? Because we're bored. Motives will produce action. When we get listless or when we uh, have a certain motive on the inside of us, it might prompt us to go out and try and do something. Maybe you drive to the beach. Maybe you're getting involved in sports. Maybe you're going out and looking for friends or something like that. Your motives will produce actions. And we need to examine our motives and we need to make sure that we have godly motives. Because ungodly motivations will rise up on the inside of us all the time. Notice the people were hungry. They needed food. And so it moved them, that motivation that, hey, we need food, moved them to connect with an ungodly king. They made the wrong move. They linked up with the wrong guy. Because they said, well, we need this. This is the avenue and the natural. This is the way that it's always been. If you read through the Bible, Solomon actually had an agreement to give wheat to these people in this region because they were supplying him with timber. There was a trade agreement. But that same trade agreement that started out because it had always been that way, we get food from this country. Therefore, they continued that even when the king was ungodly. We need to make sure who we're linked up with. Why are we linked up with the people that we're linked up with? Why are we making friends with the people that we're making friends with? Is it because it's always been that way? Is it because these people can benefit us? 
Or is there a mutual faith? You have no problem having friends that benefit you. No problem having people around you that will encourage you, people that are generous, people that are loving and kind. We need those types of friends in our lives. But if it's only a one-way street, why are you really linking up with them? Is it because they're wealthy and they pay for everything and so you're getting a free meal? Come on. Why are we linked up with the people that we're linked up with? Is it because they make us feel good about ourselves? Is it because we're insecure and we feel bad about ourselves and so we're putting up with abuse from people? Why are we linked up? Why do we do the things that we do? Why are we going to vote the way that we vote? Oh, can I meddle for a second? Come on now. Are we voting because that's how my daddy voted? That's how my mama voted? That's how my, my people vote? Can, can this white boy talk about this for a second? Is that okay? Am I going to run everybody out of the church right now? Or are we going to be mature about what Jesus says in the Bible? Are we going to be kingdom-minded people that vote because our motivation is to move the gospel forward on the earth? Or are we going to tribalize, get into our sex and say, well, you know what, this group of people over here that has this color skin or this background or this level of poverty or this level of wealth, we're going to vote this way because that's what we do. Listen, we are Christians and this is what we do. We take a look at the issues, we take a look at the candidates, and whoever's going to best represent Jesus and move the gospel forward, that's who we vote for. Pastor, you just cleared the church. Praise the Lord. Me and Jesus and my wife, hopefully, will have a good time worshiping God together. Now, I believe that you guys are more mature than that. Because we didn't come to church to play patty cake. We came to church to grow up. That's what this is all about. Why do we dress the way that we do? What's our motivation for that? Gentlemen, why are you dressed in the way that you do? Is it to look like someone else? Is it to be like someone else? Is it to impress someone? Ladies, when you got up and got dressed, were you putting on a certain outfit to catch something? You'll catch something, all right. You're not what you want to catch. You want to catch a godly man, right? Dress modest. Modest is hottest. Come on. You want a godly man, wear Christ well. He'll be attracted to that. You're caught up in the Holy Ghost. That's what you need to get caught up in. But when things are plunging and when things are squeezing and when things are bulging out, can I say to you in the Inland Empire, daily traditional way of speaking, ain't nobody want that. Right? What's our motivation? What appearance are we looking to give? Why do you buy the car that you buy? Is it because it's a good car? Is it going to get you from A to B? Or is it because it's a status symbol? Why did you buy the house in the neighborhood that you bought the house in? Right? What are our motivations? What are the things that are moving us in life? Philippians chapter 3, verse number 18 and verse number 19. Philippians chapter number 3. Turn there with me. In the New Testament, verse number 18 and verse number 19. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Philippi, and he says this in Philippians chapter 3, verse 18, starting out. We're going to read down in verse number 19. He says this, for many walk. Everybody say walk. Now, for those of you watching online, anytime I make everybody say something, I want you to type it in the comments section after you say it yourself. So everybody say walk. For many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. What is he saying? Anytime you see the word walk in this context, it means to live out your life. Many people live their life in opposition to the cross of Christ. They are enemies of the cross. Look at the next verse. Verse number 19. Whose end is destruction. We just saw that with Herod, didn't we? 
whose God is their belly. Notice their motivation is their hunger, their desires. That's what moves them is their personal comfort and fullness. Rather than following Christ, they're looking for filling their bellies. Whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. We know in the book of Colossians, it tells us to set our minds on things above where Christ is seated. To set our hearts. See, you determine where it is set, just like a television set, right? You remember that term? You used to have to get up and turn that dial. Now you, you click over to it, right? You push the button. What are you doing? You are setting where you want the channel to be at, what you're going to view, what you're going to think about, what you're going to understand. In the same way, when we take a look at what the Bible has to say, we can either set our minds, we can either change that, turn that dial to the things of this earth, to what our stomach wants, to what our desires want, to what our body wants. Oh, pastor, it just felt so good. I couldn't help myself, right? Or how about this? We set our minds and our desires, our hearts, our whole life on things above where Christ is seated, who gave up his life, who sacrificed everything for us. See, we have to make godly motives. And in order to do this, we need to let the desires of Christ move us. You're there in Philippians. Turn two books back to the book of Galatians, chapter number two. Galatians, chapter number two. Let me show you how to make godly motives so that you will make godly moves. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, this is one of those verses that I would encourage everybody to memorize. Put it to your memory. Speak it over yourself. Pray about it to God and make this a part of who you are. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20. Take a look at it right towards the end there. Second to last verse in the book of Galatians chapter number 2. It says this. It says, I've been crucified with Christ. You're not an enemy to the cross. You're a partaker of the cross. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Notice no longer is your God your belly. Your God is the one that's living on the inside of you, Jesus, the Christ. And you no longer are moved by your own motives, moved by your own desires. No, now it's a walk of faith that you hear the word of God, you believe it, you have a picture of hope that I can have what God says I can have. I can do what God says I can do. I can be what God says I can be. I trust him for my sustenance. I trust him for a marriage in the future if that's what you're looking for. I'm trusting him for my children. I'm trusting him for my finances. I believe God. I see it in his word. And therefore, I receive it by faith. And you allow Allow that faith life to move you. And now it's no longer you that's living your life. No, it's Christ living in you. Now your motivation is Christ and your movement is Christ. That's how we make godly motives. Is you, you said it. You set your heart on the things of God. You set your heart on the word of God. You believe God. You have faith in him. And you allow that to move you. We need to win the battle within by making godly motives. Second thing for us today is this. Second thing is this. That if we're going to win the battle within, we need to put down pride. Got to put it down because it'll try to raise up in each and every one of us. Heard the story of Muhammad Ali, famed boxer. He was getting on an airplane and he sat down, and the stewardess came by and said, Sir, you need to buckle your safety belt. He said, Superman doesn't need a seat belt. She looked back and responded, Superman also doesn't need an airplane. Put your seat belt on. See, we need to put pride down. Otherwise, pride will put us 
down. Come on, somebody. Proverbs chapter 16, verse number 18, very familiar verse. Probably you could quote it with me, right? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. We've condensed that into our modern-day proverb, right? Pride goes before the fall. Pride goes before destruction. Herod was destroyed because of his pride. He was lifted up in pride, and what did it do? It brought him low. He exalted himself, and yet he was brought down in the worst way possible. He was eaten by worms. Gross. That's terrible. What a terrible way to die, especially at the peak of your popularity in your silver robes, and all of a sudden, oh, my goodness, and he's gone. Why? All because he was prideful. He didn't give God the glory. He received it for himself. He got lifted up in pride, and he was put down just like the devil, right? Here the devil is saying, I'm going to exalt myself. I'm going to ascend to the heights. I'll put my throne above the throne of God. I will be in the place of God, and I will be God, right? He exalted himself, and yet Jesus said, I saw Satan fall, but not just fall. He said, I saw him fall like lightning, right? The moment he was lifted up in his heart in pride, God said, you're gone. He got put down. And this is a spiritual principle that we all need to understand about pride is that we can fall into that same trap and that same snare of the devil. Pride will put us down because either we can be humble ourselves or we can be humbled by God. Pride, let me give you a definition. Pride, what is pride? Pride is independent, selfish desires. Independent, selfish desires. It's that lust for my self. Lust is my needs at your expense. And that pride, that independent selfish desire says, God, I don't need you. I've got this. Oh, everybody come and look at me, right? Pride exalts self. I don't need anybody else, right? I, I don't need your help. I can do it my way. I've got this, right? I'm the bee's knees. I'm the latest and greatest. That's what pride does. It's independent selfish desires. So on the flip side of that, what is humility then? If we're to humble ourselves, what is humility? Humility is dependence on God. Utter dependence on God. If pride says, I don't need God, humility says, I only need God. God, more God, nothing but God. God, God, God. God in the morning, God in the afternoon, God in the evening, God in my sleeping, God in my rising, God in my coming, God in my going, God in my finances, God in my home, God in my dreams, God in my vision, God in my everything. God, I need God. God, if you don't show up, it ain't going to happen. God, if you don't put this thing together, it's going to fall apart. God, if I don't got you, God, if God, if you're not going to go with us, God, if you're not moving, God, we ain't going nowhere, God. I I need God. That's a humble heart. I'm not saying I'm so putrid, I'm so messed up, I'm so base, I'm so low, right? Some people think humility is, oh, I don't, I'm not anything, right? No. Humility is God's everything. That's what humility is. Humility is not this putting yourself down and bagging on yourself and all that kind of, no. Humility is exalting God and saying, I depend on God. See, pride shuts God out of our thoughts, but humility brings God into our thoughts. Pride exalts self, but humility exalts God. And pride hinders us, but humility helps us. Let me show this to you in the Word of God in the book of James. Turn there with me to James chapter number 4. Towards the end of your Bible, if you hit the maps or the book of Revelation, turn around and come back a little bit. Right after the book of Hebrews, you'll find the book of James. James chapter number 4, verse number 6. Online, if you're still doing all right, put an amen in the comment section right now. All right? Give somebody a virtual high five right there. 
You guys here in the sanctuary doing well? Give somebody an air five. Come on, somebody. We need each other in our life. James chapter number four. We're going to take a look at two verses. We're going to take a look at verse number six, and then we're going to drop down to verse number 10. James chapter four, verse number six. Look at what it says. It says, but he, this is capital H, speaking of God, but he gives more grace. Stop right there for a second. We got to understand what grace is. Oh, well, that's just unmerited favor. What on earth does unmerited favor mean? Right? I don't talk like that. You probably don't talk like that. Unmerited favor. Good morning, son. You know that I uh, give you a lot of unmerited favor. We don't talk like that, right? So what is grace? Grace is God's sovereign divine ability to get the job done on our behalf when we can't do it. I can't have a great marriage on my own. I will mess it up. I can't have a great business life on my own. I can't make my investments succeed. I need a supernatural power on that. I cannot raise my kids and have them grow up and be the people of God that I desire them to be all on my own. I need God to do that. So here God says he gives more grace, his sovereign divine ability to get the job done on our behalf when we can't do it. I think that's worth all of us saying together, okay? So grace is God's sovereign divine ability to get the job done on my behalf when I can't do it. Let's say it again. Grace, God's sovereign divine ability to get the job done on my behalf when I can't do it. I can't hear the people online, so let's make sure to say it all together real loud. Grace, God's sovereign, divine ability to get the job done on my behalf when I can't do it. So it says he gives more grace. Therefore, he says God resists the proud. Remember that pride will put you down. Why? Because when you operate in pride, the Bible says that God resists you. How many of you want God stopping you from doing something? Good, I didn't see any hand go up. I, that, that was the right answer. Thank you guys for participating so well today. And I, I, I think online, you no one, no, 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 don't want God resisting me, right? Why? Because who can resist God? If God is stopping something, ain't nobody going to start it, right? If God is resisting or holding something back, who's going to push it through God? No one. No one can. No one will. God is omnipotent. He's omnipresent, right? He's omniscient. He knows all. He's everywhere all at once, and he's all-powerful. You cannot resist God, but God can certainly resist you. And if you're in pride, God's going to stop you at every corner. He's going to hedge you in. He's going to bring you low. God resists the proud. Look at this. But gives grace to the humble. Wait, 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 wait. He gives what to the humble? He gives what to the humble? He gives grace to the humble. He gives his sovereign, divine ability to get the job done on your behalf when you can't do it, when you're humble. That means if you say, God, I can't do this, I need you, God says, all right then, here's some grace, right? He gives more grace. But when you say, God, I got this, he says, no, you don't. I've got it. I'm the one that deserves the glory. I'm the one that deserves the honor. I'm the one that deserves the praise. Because he's an egotist? No, because he's God. Because that's who he is. He's worthy of it. And so therefore, when we say, God, I don't need you, God says, yes, you do. And I'm going to show you that you do. I want you to depend on me. I want to be your all in all. I want to help you. I want to do life with you. But you cannot have the things that I have in store for you if you're lifted up in pride saying, I got this, God. Get out of here. 
No, you can have it when you say, God, I need you. God, would you come and get involved in my marriage? It's falling apart. God, I'm lonely, and I need you to come and be my friend that sticks closer than a brother. God, I, I just am not making the bills. God, I need you to come into my finances. God, I'll humble myself. God, I'll give. I'll tithe like you say. And God, would you show up and make sense of all this mess that I've made financially? God, I can't do life on my own. God, I need you. And God shows up with his grace. Look at James chapter number four, verse number 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Pride brings us down, but humility brings us up. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Depend on God, and he will lift you up. He'll take you higher than you ever dreamt possible. He'll lift you up to heights that you never thought you could. All of a sudden, your motives and your mission line up because now you're not in pride. You're in humility, depending on God. For everything. Last one for us today is this. We're going to win the battle that goes on within. That battle against our motives, ungodly motives that try and come in. We've got to make godly motives. That battle against pride, we've got to humble ourselves. Put pride down and humble yourselves. Last one is this, is that we need to give God glory. We need to give God glory. I heard the story of an elderly lady. She was a widow living on her own. Every morning, she'd go out onto her front porch. She'd lift her hands to heaven, and she would say, glory to God. Glory to God. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will be glad and rejoice in it. Her next-door neighbor was a staunch atheist, and he just hated that every morning, hearing that, hearing her go out and praise God every day, hearing her go out and give glory to God. Oh, my goodness, it just burned on the inside of him. It was like a sour, nasty taste in his mouth every morning when he'd hear it. One morning, the... Old woman walked out into her front porch and she lifted her hands to heaven and she said, Glory to God! Glory to God! Hey God, you know that I don't have any food in my cabinets. So God, would you provide me the food that I need for this week? Amen. Glory to God. And she walked back in her house. The atheist thought, I've got her this time. I'm going to show her. So he runs throughout his house and he gathers a big bag of groceries together tiptoes over to her house and places it on the front door and he does the ding-dong ditch thing, right? He rings the doorbell and runs and hides behind a bush. The woman comes to open the door and she looks down and she sees this massive bag of groceries overflowing with food for the week. She lifts up her hands to the Lord and she says, glory to God, glory to God. You provided for my needs today. And the atheist jumps out from behind the bush and he goes, ha, I got you. God didn't give you those groceries. I gave you those groceries. It's useless to pray to an unseen, unknown God that doesn't even exist. Now, the woman didn't even skip a beat. She just lifted her hands one more time. She said, glory to God, glory to God. Not only did you provide for my needs, but you made the devil pay for it. Now, we need to understand what glory is. Is glory some radiance? Is it some shining light? Is, it, is that what's glorious? See, if you really take a look and dive into the word glory, it means the esteem or the honor, the estimation. That when you add up all the facts, right, when you take a look at what something's value is or what something's worth is, it's the opinion or the esteem of that person or that thing, right? Right? The glory is the opinion or the esteem of someone. So when we say glory to God, we're saying that he has the highest regard, that we esteem him as valuable, that, that we're showing forth that others' opinions should be greater of him. 
You guys understand what we're talking about? So when you hear us shout glory in the church, when we're worshiping God, and at the end we give a great big shout, and you hear somebody say, glory to God, what are they saying? They're saying, God is so good. God is awesome. God is valuable. God is worthy. God is honorable. God is great and mighty and greatly to be praised. That's what they're saying, all containing this one word, glory. And you can see why that glory word is now glorious. It can be bright and shining, and it can cause a greater understanding and greater light on the inside of someone. Herod kept the glory, right? And his robe was shiny, and the people said, this is the voice of a God and not of a man. What did he do? He said, oh, everyone esteems me as valuable. Everyone has a high opinion of me, and I have a high opinion of myself. And it brought him down in pride. Yet, we need to, as the people of God, not allow the glory to come to us. The psalmist said, not to us, O Lord, but to your name be the glory cost Herod his life, and it will cost you and I our life too. When we lay down our lives at the foot of the cross and we exalt God, now all of a sudden God gets the glory. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. I want to take a look at one verse, verse number 31. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, great section of scripture. And in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, we're going to take a look at verse number 31. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says this, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, remember we started all this because there was a people that needed food. People whose God was their belly. They had ungodly motives that moved them to go and to flatter a king who flattered himself and got lifted up in pride and died because of it. But the Apostle Paul says, whether we eat or drink, or whatever you do, now, I need everybody to help me out with this sermon for a second. Can you just shout at me the word whatever? Okay, those of you online, they did such a good job. You need to just type it in all bold caps, right? Just, just put that in the comment section, whatever, right? Uh, early on, I was studying the Bible in my Christian walk, and I decided to look up this word whatever in the Greek. I wanted to make sure that I knew what we were talking about. Did it include everything, or was it just a few things? Was it all-inclusive? Was it exclusive? Were there terms and conditions? And I looked it up in the Greek, and I was shocked. Really, I, I looked it up, and I was going, man, this is revelation right here. Did you know that the word whatever in the original Greek language means whatever? Shocking, isn't it? It means whatever. So he says, therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, that means anything in good times, in bad times, on Sunday, and on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That means in the heat and in the cold, in lack and in abundance, in adversity and in peace and harmony. Come on, somebody. In a time of an election and in a time of war, in a time when people are rioting in the streets, fires are burning, and people are secluded. Come on. In everything and in everything, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Come on, that ought to be your motivation every morning when you wake up. I'm going to give God some glory with my life. I'm going to live my life to make the estimation and the honor and the opinion of people about God. I'm going to make it greater. I'm going to make it better. When people look at my life, when people look at my work, when people look at my family, when they look at my yard, come on, somebody, they're going to say, ooh, glory to God. 
There's no greater motivation than to have the glory of God in your mind. No better pride killer. No better way to put down pride than to give glory to God. Come on, somebody ought to give God some glory right now. Give God the glory. It's a new song out by Chris Tomlin. I love it. It says, I want to be the moon. And he says in it, he says, if I'm going to be known for something, I want to be known for you. That's a life that doesn't produce light on its own. That's a life that reflects the light of God. As we live our lives in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, in the midst of a people that are dying and headed for hell, in the midst of a people that are confused about life and are looking for answers, if you will radiate the glory of God, if you will allow your motive to be to lift God up every morning when you get up, every relationship that you have, everywhere that you go, if you have that kingdom mindset about all of your life that everything I have is God's, Everything I have is at God's disposal. Everything that I do is to build the kingdom of God. I'm not building my own mansion. I'm not building my own mission. I'm not building my bank account. I don't get to take any of this with me when I go. It's okay to have stuff, but listen, it's not okay for stuff to have you. If your motivation is to build the kingdom, if that is your breakfast cereal, if that's the Wheaties that you eat every day when you get up, if that is your motivating factor, if that's what moves you to action, and you don't get lifted up in pride. When people look at you, they don't see you. They see Jesus in you. They see past the man or the woman and they see to the man Christ Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. Then when you start to live your life, you will bring glory to God. And did you know at the end of it all, no matter what sort of sufferings we have on this earth, the Bible says that because we've shared in God's sufferings, that we also get to share in God's glory. So you don't have to take it for yourself. God will share it with you at the end of all things if you run your race the way that God has outlined for you. Come on, somebody glorify God right now. Give him a praise. Today I want to take a couple minutes with you guys, and I just want to pray. For those of you online, don't log off yet. I want to pray with you as well. And let's just bow our heads and close our eyes, and as we often do at the end of every church service, I want to ask you a question. Really, I want you to pray this prayer and ask this question of God. Here's the prayer that I want you to just silently in your heart say before the Lord right now. Say, God, what are you speaking to me? Would you pray as the psalmist did? The end of Psalm 139. Search me, O God. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And lead me in the way everlasting. Would you allow God to look at your motives? See if there's any pride in there. Any wicked way. And allow God to reveal that and bring it to light as painful as that may be. As humiliating as that can be. But would you humble yourself in this moment if God is revealing those things to you and say, God, I'm sorry for that. Please forgive me. I turn from my way. I put down my pride. 
I humble myself before you. God, I need your help. I'm poor and needy. I'm weak. God, I need you to be strong. What's God speaking to you? Is God instilling in you a godly motive? Go win the lost. Go build kingdom resource. Share the love with people who are unlovable. Forgive. Release. For their benefit. And not just your own. What's God speaking to you? Is there an area that God is asking you to bring him glory in? Maybe you never thought you could. Yet God is saying, I, I need people to honor me. I need people to esteem me and have a greater opinion of me. And through your life, you can reflect my goodness. What's God speaking to you? If you got a word or a scripture, God spoke something to you, would you just write that down? I don't know if I don't write stuff down, I'll forget it. I don't want you to forget. Just take a moment, commit it to a note. Maybe if there's a timeline or a plan that you have to put on it, the Holy Spirit gave you. Write that down. If you're here with a faith-filled friend, your spouse, someone that you trust, maybe you're online and you feel comfortable putting what God spoke to you in the comments section if it's appropriate. Just type it in there right now or maybe you're with your family gathered in the living room and you'd like to share that with them. Go ahead and share that right now. Whisper it in their ear. Talk to them about it. Maybe show them the note. That's always a great way too. Say, Pastor, why would you do that? Well, there's encouragement. People say, hey, that's cool. It's awesome. Solidifies it. But as well, it brings accountability because chances are they're going to ask you about that later. Hey, did you ever do what God spoke to you? Remember when you showed me that note? Remember when you whispered in my ear? How are we doing with that? Father, we thank you that you've spoken to our hearts today. Lord, we receive your word with meekness. God, we're humble. We need you, God. And so everything you've committed to our care, we commit it back to you, God. We will mess it up if we do it on our own, God. We need your grace. We need your help. So, Lord, would you come? Would you accomplish your purposes in our lives? As we set our hearts on you, God, may we have the most godly motivations, things moving us from within, God, not those external factors to be seen as something for selfish desires. God, no, we want to build your kingdom. Your kingdom come. God, your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we put down our pride and we lay it at the foot of the cross. We humble ourselves before you. And God, may we be like the moon, reflecting your glory. If we're known for something, God, may we be known for you. And may the world see our good works and glorify our Father on the day of visitation, as it says in your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. 
You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.